Racist coffee. <laughs> yep. Paying rioters and looters. Hmm. And Democrats say your constitutional rights are not absolute. Freaks, welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. No, no, not you. You're not freaks. The Democrats are freaks. <laughs> Happy Friday. It's Friday. We are very, very pleased about that. Oh, my goodness. It has been a week. It has indeed. We got all that and more coming up. Lots of other stuff coming up on tonight's show. Right now, let's kick things off with our Miko update. Miko's our little Shiba Inu baby, and uh, she's doing great. Miko has been uh, hell on wheels today. She got one of her weirdest favorite treats. It's a, I used to call it a sugar apple. But now I found out that's not what it's called. It's either called a wax apple or a honey apple. And it's this fruit. It grows wild here. It's just coming into season. They're little tiny. Actually, I have an extra one right here. I don't know if you can see that or not. It looks a little bit like a pear almost. And it's got this funny bottom on it. And it's crunchy. It's very watery. Uh, it has a, a mild flavor. It's quite nice, actually. It's quite refreshing. But Miko loves them. So on our walk tonight, there was a, a, a honey apple tree that was in bloom. And it had, I'd been watching it because it had the flowers come out. And then it suddenly just popped and all the fruit started falling all over the place. They don't last very long, but she loves them. So I got two of them. I found that weren't uh, already bug bitten. And uh, yeah, she's enjoying every moment. Look at the way she holds that thing in her hand. She's so cute when she does that. So there she is with her sugar apple and loving every minute of it. And you can't get near it. She will bite your face off. Our Miko update brought to you by BarkBox.com. Slash Miko is the link. It's in our show notes. If you want a free month, you just use that link. BarkBox.com slash Miko. Give your dog exactly what they want. A totally customized box of themed toys, treats, and a dog chew. It is something your pup is going to love. Hey, your pup deserves something special, doesn't it? Yeah, it looks up at you in those puppy dog eyes and says, please, please, mommy or daddy, go to BarkBox.com slash Miko and buy me something. <laughs> No, seriously, folks, it is such a cool thing. Every month, right to your door, you get delivered a themed box of two toys, two uh, bags of all-natural treats, dog treats, and a dog chew. And every month, a new one will come. When you sign up for a multi-month subscription, you will get a free month. And I think this is the last day for it. Also in our show notes, if you'd prefer, as a premium, you can get a free dog bed. Oh, yeah. Check out the second link under BarkBox.com slash Miko. That's the link to take you to the site that will get you the free dog bed. Whichever you would prefer, they're both there. They're both for you. BarkBox.com. Your dog will love it. 100% happiness guarantee. All right. Oh, my. <laughs> Racist coffee. Yeah. Racist coffee. I, look, I, I have to explain something, by the way. I cannot play this 
because of copyright. And I will get a I'll get a hit because it uses an Adele song. But I saw this today on Twitter, and it's the very top link in our show notes under In Today's Show. The very top link is this video cut up to Adele's song. And it's absolutely heartbreaking, but beautiful. And you must watch it. The link is in there, even though I'm sorry, I can't play it on the show because of the copyright music. But this is an absolutely incredible music video. It's not the original from Adele. It has to do with child trafficking, but it's it's incredible. Please take the time to watch it, share it out there. It's brilliant. And I really do wish if I could have played it, I'd have played the whole thing, all three, four minutes of it because it's worth it, but it it is worth it. That's why I put the link in there. All right, there is a new article that proves exactly how insane the left is. You know, I think probably the second worst thing, other than being called a pedophile, which is the worst thing, I think the second worst thing you could possibly call someone is a racist, and of course the left uses it every chance they get. Anything they don't like, it's racist. Oh, you're a racist. It's gotten to where the word really has lost its punch. Because when they say that, we all just go, yeah, whatever. It doesn't mean anything anymore because you used it too much. Well, (laughs) apparently they didn't think they've used it quite enough because this article popped claiming that drinking coffee is racist and white supremacist. I just put it out there, folks. I don't make this stuff up. Created by black people for black people, and now a pillar of white supremacist capitalism. If you consume coffee, you are helping an industry built on racism. This is insane. There is a blog called Afru, A-F-R-U. It's been uh, circulating on social media. uh, Claiming that coffee, drinking coffee, perpetuates white supremacy. According to this article, if you consume coffee, you are helping an industry build on racism. And wokeness tweeted don't forget that your morning coffee today is racist (laughs) just unbelievable if you are a person of color the article goes on you know what I'm talking about you walk into a new coffee shop and your senses are overwhelmed with whiteness And you get the glare from the Karens. The white hipster barista lines herself up between you and the bathrooms, ready to tell you non-customers aren't welcome. That's according to the piece. The article recounts a joke. White coffee drinkers share when POC aren't around that there are three things necessary in order to make a cup of coffee. They are, first, a black man to roast the coffee, second, a yellow man to grind it, and third, 
a white man to drink it, all of which sounds a bit racist to me. The article claims that every facet of coffee is rooted in racism and that the drink is another thing stolen from black and brown people. Elon Musk tweeted, even my coffee. Laverne Spicer replied, yes, Elon, your coffee just called me the N-word. Racist ass coffee. <laughs> Do these people have nothing better to do than write this crap? I mean, find a hobby. Literally, go fly a kite. You'd be doing more good for yourself and others than writing this garbage. Okay, look, I'm a white guy, okay? But come on. Is there anyone in their right mind who buys this crap? Unbelievable. Un-be-freaking-leavable. The article claims, It's a well-known fact that whites would be eating bland food like plain bread and gruel if it weren't for their theft of culinary secrets from people of color, especially black folks. That's precisely why, when the whites found out about coffee, it became one of the reasons they decided to victimize and appropriate black civilization wholesale. Good to know you wackadoos, comic book artist Ethan Van Shiver wrote. <laughs> the article claims coffee was almost religious, a part of black culture. Whites stole it, then enslaved blacks, according to the outlet, because they wanted more coffee. Oh, yes, that is the, that, that's it. That's completely it. Explains it all. Thank you very much. The entire reason slavery existed was because we wanted more coffee. Freaking idiots. And you know what's scary? There are people out there who will believe this, who will agree with this crap. Well, there is one group of people who do not agree with this. I hesitated to run this ad right after this article, but you know what? I think it's actually the perfect time to run this ad. And that would be for Blackout Coffee, because Blackout Coffee is the best small batch coffee. And yes, there's even a Dan Bongino blend uh, you can find anywhere in the country, in the good old U.S. of A., because Blackout Coffee, the owner there, He's two things. Two things he cares about: making the best cup of coffee, cup of coffee on the on the planet, and our good old American values could not possibly be any less racist. He supports our troops at work, on duty, Operation Blackout, sending coffee to the troops, whatever color they may be. Our first responders, Blackout Coffee, does everything it can to support the conservative values, fresh premium roasted grade coffee from a company that supports our American values and 
just simply the best coffee you ever had. I just I personally recommend this stuff, folks. You will love it. Throw out that brown water crap you've been drinking that's been sitting on the shelf for four years. Get this fresh roasted coffee delivered right to your door. Use that special link in our show notes. It's the top link down there. And when you're there and you check out, use our promo code. That would be J20, J-A-Y-20 at checkout for 20% off your first order. That's a hell of a deal. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, true, trust me, you will love this coffee. You'll be back for more. Not only are you getting that, but you are helping to support a company that supports our good old American values. This company is all about traditional conservative American values. Blackout Coffee, please do support them. And uh, I can't thank them enough for helping to support the show. I'm very, very proud to have them a part of this uh, part of this stream here. All right, what else we got cooking tonight besides a good cup of coffee? Oh, yeah. Mmm. <laughs> See? Good stuff. Okay, New York City. <laughs> uh, what, well, you know what? Two things. Whenever I start with one of two words you know it's going to be a whack job. California or New York City. In this case, New York City. They have agreed to pay millions to BLM rioters in an amazingly shocking settlement. They have reached an agreement. Just just listen to this. Insanity. They've reached an agreement to compensate over 1,000 protesters with a sum exceeding $13 million. Individuals were either arrested or had encounters with police during the Black Lives Matter protests in 2020. The settlement, which is currently awaiting a judge's approval, is one of the largest ever in terms of mass arrests was filed in Manhattan Federal Court. The lawsuit pertains to 18 protesters that took uh, 18 protests rather that took place in New York City the week following the death of George Floyd, May of 2020. And those eligible for the settlement can expect to receive just under $10,000 each. The aftermath of Floyd's death led to protests, riots, 18 fatalities, property damage, $350 million in the uh, Minneapolis area alone. $2 billion total across the nation. Businesses looted, businesses, homes burned to the ground. And what's New York doing? Here you go, have some cash. Have $13 million. What more is there to say? They're just going to keep doing it because they can get away with it. The settlement excludes protesters who were arrested in connection with violent activities. Now, those charged with trespassing, property destruction, assaulting an officer, arson, weapons possession, all those captured on video obstructing police from making arrests also may be deemed ineligible but you know what at the end of the day why in the hell are you paying these people anything 
protest, burn your cities down, loot the stores, make some money. Honestly, at this point, I can't say that I blame them. You know what? Why not? Uh, we told you the story about the uh, Chinese hack that went into the emails that was supposedly nothing that was confidential or top secret or anything. Well, I got an update on that story for you. Apparently, that's not the whole story. Chinese hackers did breach the emails of a U.S. ambassador. I told you, folks, everybody's saying Russia, Ukraine, Russia, Ukraine, World War III. World War III is going to come in the form of China likely tied to Taiwan. But I'm telling you, do not be distracted from China. China is where our problems lie. Chinese hackers, in addition to that giant email breach, have now breached the email of a U.S. ambassador to China. Nicholas Burns had his email account accessed by Chinese hackers who engaged in a huge espionage operation. According to multiple reports, Joining the company of a cabinet member, a cabinet member, and other State Department officials that were also hacked as part of the campaign. So don't tell me there weren't any confidential top secret documents. Come on. These are diplomats, cabinet members, emails. Burns' email account hacked as a part of a spy attack estimated to have breached hundreds of thousands of individual U.S. government emails, according to the Wall Street Journal, which first reported on the Burns hack. Wow. These are uh, three different officials confirmed the hack to CNN. So, in addition to the story we did earlier this week about those thousands, hundreds of thousands of emails that got hacked by Chinese uh, hackers, that report said no top-secret information or confidential information was leaked. This report says, mm, not so fast. Apparently, it was. Okay. Remember when I said whenever I say one of two things, you know it's going to be a whack job story? New York or California? Well, we did New York, so you know what? Let's do California. Why has that shifted over? Can we get that? I guess not. Okay. Well, with it. Links in our show notes if you want to read the whole thing. This is brilliant. This is this is California. This is California in a nutshell. They're going to fine a school district $1.5 million for rejecting materials mentioning Harvey Milk. The governor announced the penalty less than 24 hours after a nearly six-hour school board meeting that dissolved into shouts and jeers a whole bunch of times. There's the idiot now. California Newsom, Governor Newsom announced a $1.5 million fine against the Temecula Valley United School District less than one day after the conservative board members voted to reject a state-endorsed curriculum that includes a short biography of gay rights leader Harvey Milk. On top of the fine, now get this, on top of the fine, the district in East Los Angeles is going to have to pay the shipping costs associated with sending the materials they don't want 
to the district. The shipping costs, $1.6 million. Previously, he vowed to do if the board did not approve the material. So they're going to ship the material anyway, knowing already that it's going to get rejected. The shipping is going to cost this district $1.6 million. And then moron Newsom is going to add on a fine because they rejected it for $1.5 million. Unbelievable. Newsom says, this is quoting Newsom, after we deliver the textbooks into the hands of students and their parents, the state will deliver the bill, along with a $1.5 million fine, to the school board for its decision to willfully violate the law, subvert the will of the parents, and force children to use an out-of-print textbook from 17 years ago. You know what? It's probably better for the kids from 17 years ago than that garbage you're trying to force down their throats now. Read the rest of that article. It is in our show notes. It is an eye-opener. And just like California, true to form, never stops. These people just won't stop. Even better yet, just go away. Why don't they, why don't they just, you know, secede? Or, or could we force them to secede? Could we say, look, California, we don't like you anymore. Get the hell out. I don't think we can do that, which is a shame. In addition to Californians, we've got a couple of other Democrats who really have absolutely no business at all being in the United States government because apparently they just don't get it. Anyone still considering the DNC to be a Democrat, Democratic and fact-based party really needs to watch how these two idiot representatives justify the restriction of free speech. Increasingly, Democrats are post-truth, anti-democratic, bottom line stupid, politicians claiming that men can be women, COVID gene therapies were safe and effective, Masks limit the spread of the dangerous virus. I'm telling you, these people probably ought to be in an asylum instead of the legislature. You will not, you will not believe this. Listen close. No right given to the people of the United States is absolute, and that includes the right to free speech. Protective measures were taken to take down disinformation about vaccines and about the nature of the virus and about protective measures we could take, including masks, including social distancing. We are not trying to censor speech. We are simply trying to create factually correct information to prevent harm to people. It was public health measures to protect lives. Again, something should be celebrated. Unfreaking believable. That is Representative Linda Sanchez and Jerry Connolly, Representative Jerry Connolly, neither of whom, in my humble opinion, 
and likely yours, have any business in government. The right of free speech is not an absolute right. You're an idiot. Absolute idiot. Where do these where do these people come from? A. B. Who the hell votes for these morons? Or do they say one thing to get in office and then once they get there say something else? It's like these morons who are pushing climate change, which we all know it's been proven time and time again. There is no such thing. CO2 is not harmful. We do not have an excessive level of CO2 being pumped into the atmosphere. Climate change is a climate scam. Full stop. End. Nobel Prize winning scientist says... Nobel Prize winning scientist. Let me say it again. Climate crisis is a hoax to depopulate the planet. There he is. Dr. John Closser testified the man-made climate change narrative is a complete hoax perpetrated by the elite to depopulate the planet. He was the co-winner of the 2022 Nobel Prize in physics, one of the world's leading authorities on quantum mechanics, slammed the green agenda by push by the WEF-controlled countries as a dangerous corruption of science that threatens the world's economy and the well-being of billions of people. According to Dr. Klosser, this man-made climate change bullshit is being perpetrated by governments, media organizations, who are bought and paid for by the globalist elite. You know that. I don't have to tell you that. Para, a goal of globalists to depopulate the planet, drastically decrease the quality of life for those of us who may or may not remain. In my opinion, Clauser says, there is no real climate crisis. There is, however a very real problem with providing a decent standard of living to the world's largest population and an associated energy crisis. Boom. There you go. Share that one out with your friends. Links in our show notes if you want to read the whole article. Not much more to it than what's there, but um, there you go. Nobel Prize in physics. Damn. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've got uh, some footage out of the Ukraine that you're going to want to see because it is incredibly scary stuff. This is absolutely mind-blowing. You're not going to believe this. Hold on. I gotta. I, we don't need the sound. Footage is bad enough. Take a look at some of this uh, footage. Where are we? Here we go. Take a look at some of this footage from the Ukraine. This is absolutely unbelievable. Look at that. Look at the destruction. Look at the... What? Oh, oh, that's not the Ukraine? Oh, it's Oakland, California. I see. Okay, do, we, do we have the Ukraine footage? Oh, we do. This, literally, I'm not kidding. This is footage from a grocery store taken just a day ago in the Ukraine. 
Look at this war-torn country. Look at these people in fear of their lives. If you're listening to the podcast, sorry, check out the video on Rumble.com, The Jay Sheldon Show. Look at this. How scary is that? Shelves virtually empty. People cowering. I wouldn't be surprised to see somebody maybe wearing a gas mask or something. Yeah. This, this, literally, this is in the Ukraine. Yeah. And while we're on the subject, by the way, I've mentioned this before. For every other war we've ever had, anywhere, whether we were involved in it or not, there has always been footage of the fighting, of the war itself going on, of things like that happening. Where has that been in this Ukraine war? I think I've seen one or two pictures, pieces of video, and it wasn't really fighting footage, just some post-battle thing. Where is all the footage? This thing's been going on for a long time now. You'd think there'd be a lot more footage. Where is it? Not putting my tinfoil hat on too tightly, but it begs an answer. All right, you know the actors are on strike, right? They went out in support of the writers. Well, part of the reason is because of AI. Hmm. Studio use of AI to recreate actors is a sticking point in the Hollywood strikes. Not going to spend a lot of time on this because, you know, who cares? You know what? Hollywood can go belly up as far as I'm concerned. That's a better day for tomorrow. The right to control whether personal images can be created by artificial intelligence has apparently become one of the key sticking points for members in Hollywood's Actors Union. The idea is that if you can scan in the actor and then recreate them with AI, you don't need the actor anymore. And you know what? If, if you are willing to pay for that actor's performance as AI, maybe a little bit less, but pay nevertheless, I'm not sure I have a problem with that. Why not? You can make more movies. And if you're just going to use the AI, and this is not just main actors, not principal actors necessarily, but all the extras, crowd scenes, all created by AI. You know, if you got a couple of hundred bucks a day as an extra in a crowd scene in a film, and they scanned you and used you in another film, and they paid you a hundred bucks for that, well, why not? You didn't do anything, and you're getting paid for it. I could, I could see that happening. I'll tell you one of the reasons, and, and this, trust me, folks, this is not self-promotion because you're not going to hire me to do any work. But in the show notes, I put a link to my uh, voiceover page because among the many jobs I've had in my life, the one I've probably spent the most time doing was doing voices. And... Um, I've been doing them forever. I started out in radio when I was 18 years old, and that was like a thousand years ago. Moved into television, did film and stuff, and I still do voiceovers. I've done voices for cartoons, for video games, NSR, No Straight Roads was the latest one I did. Uh, so I've done 
a billion commercials for all kinds of TV, radio, online. You can still hear my voice out there and a whole bunch of stuff. In fact, I've got a recording next week for something uh, for a New Zealand company. But anyway, the reason I put this in there is in case you're interested, you want to check out the, the voice guy, that's me, and a sample of all of my different voices and work that I've done are all there, all the different commercials that I've done over the many, many years. Uh, what's that? Oh, McDonald's, uh, One Plus Martini, uh, lots of different stuff here. This is a documentary that I did the uh, voiceover for. Uh, I think that, oh, Honda is there. Uh, Astro the Dream Makers, that's our local cable channel here. Nando's. Anyway, they're all there if you want to check them out, have a couple of fun moments and things. Some really nice work, too, if I do say so myself. But that is uh, the voice guy. And here's the reason I bring it up. Talking about this AI thing. If somebody has recorded my voice, they pay me for that. I get paid, all done, thank you very much, and there you have the right to use my voice for that run of that commercial. It has happened before where somebody has wanted to rerun the commercial a year later, and consequently, they paid me. Not the same full rate that I got for recording the script the first time. It was less, not significantly less, but less, and I have no problem with that. You're going to use my voice, then I have the right to be paid. Absolutely. But if I don't have to drag my ass into a recording studio and record the script all over again when it's the same one, and you want to use it again, then just pay me for the right to use it and be on your merry way. Got no problem with that at all. So why wouldn't the same thing apply? Now, again, that's if the studios are not looking to scan actors in and then just use them and not pay the original actors. They ought to be paid. If they get a few hundred bucks a day rate for extras, no, you shouldn't get a few hundred bucks for doing that because you didn't actually do any work. But 100 bucks, 150 bucks, something like that, absolutely seems reasonable. Why not? Why not? Makes sense to me. Okay. Wait, what, what is going on here? Hold on. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> okay. It's time for the book. You ready for the book? Yeah, I'm ready for the book. Uh, we read books on this show. You know, I'm tempted to eat Miko's sugar apple, but I think I'll save it for her for later. Uh, we've done all kinds of children's classic literature. Peter Pan, The Wizard of Oz, The Little Prince, Alice in Wonderland. Right now, though, we're doing George Orwell's 1984, which has been incredibly prophetic for the times we live in. George Orwell was uh, quite a fortune teller. So we are going to continue on. Winston and Julia were arrested. They are being held, and lots has been going on since we last left. Let's jump back into it. The very scary and prophetic George Orwell's 1984. The man was led out, walking unsteadily with head sunken, nursing his crushed hand. All the fight had gone out of him. A long time passed. If it had been midnight when the skull-faced man was taken away, it was morning. If it was morning, it was afternoon. Winston was alone, had been alone for hours. Pain of sitting on the narrow bench was such that often he got up and walked about, unreproved by the telescreen. 
The piece of bread still lay where the chinless man had dropped it. At the beginning, it needed a hard effort not to look at it, but presently hunger gave way to thirst. His mouth was sticky, evil-tasting. The humming sound, the unvarying white light, induced a sort of faintness, an empty feeling inside of his head. He'd get up, because the ache in his bones was no longer bearable. Then he'd sit down again almost at once, because he was too dizzy to make sure of staying on his feet. Whenever his physical sensations were a little under control, the terror returned. Sometimes, with a fading hope, he thought of O'Brien, the razor blade. It was thinkable the razor blade might arrive concealed in his food, if he were ever fed. More dimly, he thought of Julia. Somewhere or other, she was suffering perhaps far worse than he. She thought she might be screaming with pain at this moment. He thought, if I could save Julia by doubling my own pain, would I do it? Yes, I would. But that was merely an intellectual decision, taken because he knew he ought to take it. He did not feel it. In this place, you couldn't feel anything except pain and the foreknowledge of pain. Besides, was it possible, when you were actually suffering it, to wish for any reason that your own pain should increase? But that question was not answerable yet. The boots were approaching again. The door opened. O'Brien came in. Winston started to his feet. The shock of the sight had driven all caution out of him. For the first time in many years, he forgot the presence of the telescreen. "'They got you, too!' he cried. "'They got me a long time ago,' said O'Brien, with a mild, almost regretful irony. He stepped aside. From behind him there emerged a broad-chested guard with a long black truncheon in his hand. "'You know him, Winston?' said O'Brien. "'Don't deceive yourself.' You did know it. You've always known it. Yes. He saw now. He'd always known it. But there was no time to think of that. All he had eyes for was the truncheon in the guard's hand. It might fall anywhere. On the crown, tip of the ear, upper arm, elbow, the elbow. He had slumped to his knees, almost paralyzed clasping the stricken elbow with his other hand. Everything had exploded into yellow light. Inconceivable, inconceivable that one blow could cause so much pain. The light cleared, and he could see the other two looking down at him. The guard was laughing at his contortions. One question at any rate was answered. Never for any reason on earth could you wish for an increase in pain. Of pain you could wish only one thing, that it should stop. Nothing in the world was so bad as physical pain. In the face of pain, there were no heroes. He thought over and over as he writhed on the floor, clutching uselessly, 
at his disabled left arm. Chapter 19 He was lying on something that felt like a camp bed, except it was higher off the ground, and that he was fixed down in some way so he couldn't move. Light that seemed stronger than usual was falling on his face. O'Brien was standing at his side, looking down at him intently. At the other side of him stood a man in a white coat, holding a hypodermic syringe. Even after his eyes were open, he took in his surroundings only gradually. He had the impression of swimming up into this room from something quite different, a different world, sort of underwater world far beneath it. How long had he been down there, he did not know. Since the moment when they arrested him, he hadn't seen darkness or daylight. Besides, his memories were not continuous. There had been times when consciousness, even the sort of consciousness that one has in sleep, had stopped dead, started again after a blank interval. But whether the intervals were of days or weeks or only seconds, there was no way of knowing. With that first blow on the elbow, the nightmare had started. Later, he was to realize that all that, ha that had happened then was merely a preliminary, a routine interrogation to which all prisoners were subjected. There was a long range of crimes, espionage, sabotage, and the like, to which everyone had to confess as a matter of course. The confession was a formality, though the torture was real. How many times had he been beaten? How long had the beaten beatings continued? He could not remember. Always there were five or six men in black uniforms at him simultaneously. Sometimes it was fists, sometimes it was truncheons, sometimes it was steel rods, sometimes it was the boots. There were times when he rolled about the floor as shameless as an animal, writhing his body this way and that in an endless, hopeless effort to dodge the kicks, and simply inviting more, and yet more kicks. In his ribs, in his bellies, in his elbows, in his shins, his groin, in his testicles, on the bone at the base of his spine. There were times when it went on and on until the cruel, wicked, unforgivable things seemed to him not that the guards continued to beat him, but that he could not force himself into losing consciousness. There were times when his nerves so forsook him that he began shouting for mercy even before the beating began. When the mere sight of a fist drawn back for a blow was enough to make him pour forth a confession of real and imaginary crimes. There were other times when he started out with the resolve of confessing nothing, when every word had to be forced out of him between gasps of pain, and there were times when he feebly tried to compromise, when he said to himself, I will confess, but not yet. I must hold out until the pain becomes unbearable. Three more kicks, 
two more kicks, and then I'll tell them what they want. Sometimes he was beaten till he could hardly stand, then flung like a sack of potatoes onto the stone floor of a cell, left to recuperate for a few hours, then taken out and beaten again. There were also longer periods of recovery. He remembered them dimly because they were spent chiefly in sleep or stupor. He remembered a cell with a plank bed, a sort of shelf sticking out of the wall, and a tin wash basin, meals of hot soup and bread, sometimes coffee. He remembered a Shirley barber arriving to scrape his chin and crop his hair, businesslike, unsympathetic men in white coats feeling his pulse, tapping his reflexes, turning up his eyelids, running harsh fingers over him to search for broken bones, and shooting needles in his arms to make him sleep. The beatings grew less frequent, became mainly a threat, a horror to which he could be sent back at any moment when his answers were unsatisfactory. His questioners now were not ruffians in black uniforms, but party intellectuals, little rotund men with quick movements and flashing spectacles who worked on him in relays over periods which lasted, he thought, he could not be sure, ten or twelve hours at a stretch. These other questioners saw to it that he was in constant, slight pain. But it wasn't chiefly pain that they relied on. They slapped his face, wrung his ears, pulled his hair, made him stand on one leg, refused him to leave, to urinate, shone glaring lights in his face until his eyes ran with water. But the aim of this was simply to humiliate him and destroy his power of arguing and reasoning. Their real weapon was the merciless questioning that went on and on, hour after hour, tripping him up, laying traps for him, twisting everything he said, convicting him at every step of lies, self-contradiction, until he began weeping as much from shame as from nervous fatigue. Sometimes he'd weep half a dozen times in a single session. Most of the time they screamed abuse at him, threatened at every hesitation to deliver him over to the guards again. But sometimes they would suddenly change their tune, call him Conrad, appeal to him in the name of Ingsoc and Big Brother, and ask him sorrowfully whether or not now he had been enough loyal to the party, enough loyalty left to make him wish to undo the evil that he'd done. When his nerves were in rags, after hours of questioning, even this appeal could reduce him to sniveling tears. In the end, the nagging voices broke him down more completely than the boots and fists of the guards. He became simply a mouth that uttered, a hand that signed, whatever was demanded of him. His sole concern was to find out what they wanted him to confess, 
and then confess it quickly, before the bullying started anew. He confessed to the assassination of eminent party members, the distribution of seditious pamphlets, embezzlement of public funds, sale of military secrets, sabotage of every kind. He confessed he'd been a spy in the pay of the East Asian government as far back as 1968. He confessed he was a religious believer, an admirer of capitalism, and a sexual pervert. He confessed he had murdered his wife, although he knew, and his questioners must have known, that his wife was still alive. He confessed that for years he'd been in personal touch with Goldstein, been a member of an underground organization which had included almost every human being he had ever known. It was easier to confess everything and implicate everybody. Besides, in a sense, it was all true. It was true he'd been an enemy of the party, and in the eyes of the party, there was no distinction between the thought and the deed. And that's where we'll knock it for tonight. We'll pick it up again on Monday, in the middle of this chapter. Wow. Heavy, heavy stuff. <laughs> hey, don't forget, folks, right down there is a follow button. Just give it a click. Follow the show. I really do appreciate it. It's free for you, absolutely free. doesn't cost a thing, and it really, really helps the show out a lot. We really appreciate that. Check out all of our sponsors. You can get some great deals, including the great Blackout Coffee, Skillshare, NordVPN, all kinds of great deals for you down there in our show notes. And uh, enjoy your weekend, huh? All right. Thanks for watching, and I will see you again on Monday. Snort. <laughs>